I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome to 12-pack radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the beta rank college football statistical model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills' Max Meyer, who will be returning to the podcast in a few weeks. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And we have a football season. We have a football season. We have schedules. We have weeks. And we had like almost a, you know, for all things considered for a crazy college football Saturday, it almost felt normal. Like, you know, I think the teams are kind of falling into their groove. There weren't as many crazy upsets. I think a lot of people had Brock Purdy and and, uh, Iowa State at least being competitive in that game but that is neither here nor there we're talking about Pac-12 football and I'm joined Rob was is just is still high on the bliss of an almost normal college football week so he is sitting out this week and I am joined by the uh the breaker of film really just the the breaker of chains and et cetera et cetera all the titles Mr. Hithleday from Addicted to Quack in the Quack 12 podcast what's going on Hithleday? Uh not much how you doing? I am excellent um I am so excited to actually um, know that all of the work that, and I know you've done so much film breakdown and so many articles, and we'll talk about those on the show. Um, we've also done all of our research on the Pac-12, and it's nice to know that it's actually going to matter now. I think you know, <laughs> we're not yelling. At yeah, you know, it was funny. Every time I published it, you know, I published a preview article during the summer of all 12 Pac-12 teams, and every time some Weisenheimer would get in my comments or Twitter or whatever and be like, "Why are you doing this?" There's not going to be a, a, a season. You know, this is irrelevant. I'm like, ah, who's laughing now? Including, actually, I also published a, a, an article uh, about UCLA, which Oregon was not originally scheduled uh, to play. And so I got, you know, some snark on that one, too. But when the schedule came out this Saturday and that turned out to be Oregon's crossover opponents, like, ah, who's the dummy now? <laughs> we are the monks that preserved Western civilization back in the day, you know, writing all the manuscripts by hand with uh, illuminated letters and everything. That is this version uh, of college football. So we are excited to talk about these teams that we've really gone over. We're going to go over three teams this week. They're all going to be in the Pac-12 South. They're going to be UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona. We're going to start with Colorado. But before we start, since we're having a Pac-12 season, we're going to redo, we're going to start our Pac-12 Survivor Pool again. It's our fourth annual Survivor Pool. Congratulations to Rick DeNice for winning it back-to-back in 2017, 2018, and then Island Cat in 2019. And if you want to join the Survivor Pool, here is how this works. Basically, every week, you submit one pick to win um, a Pac-12 game. Doesn't matter about the spread. They just have to win outright. And then every week, you pick another team. And if you lose your first week, you're out. If you win, you move forward. And here's the, the catch, is that you can only pick... Uh, each team once 
And so it's going to be a little bit easier, frankly, now that we have like six or seven games that we're going to go through. But it will still be fun. We've been doing this uh, every year, and it's a nice and easy way to follow along with the podcast and just follow the Pac-12 in general. So here is how you join. Go on to uh, our website, sharpcollegefootball.com. If you scroll down, all the rules are going to be there. And I'll put this on our Twitter account, 12-Pack Radio, um, for everybody to read. But basically, go to Sharp College Football, uh, submit your pick, but you're going to find something. You're going to find something that there's going to be a password. We have a password. You can join the pot you can join the contest if you share the podcast um, you just have to do it once just share the show on twitter or on facebook and just send us either a screenshot or just you know retweet us and put our name in it when you do that i will send you the password and you can join we had about 70 people join last year which is really fun so uh really excited for everybody to jump on board again again Share the, the podcast, get the password, and then every week just put your picks in on sharpcollegefootball.com. I have a big old banner there that's already set up. That's the only way we're getting picks. Some people did them by Twitter last time. We're just going to do it through the website. So um, we'll keep announcing this as we move forward. But please join. It'll be super fun. And uh, the winner, by the way, is going to win. Um, I have set aside a certain pot of money uh, for some Etsy swag from your school. So if you want like a whiskey tumbler glass, like with your university's grid on it, if you want, you know, I don't know, like a couch throw pillow, whatever, uh, you're going to have the cash to do that. And um, and that's how it's going to work. And the last caveat there is if one of the hosts win, if myself, Rob, or Max wins, uh, West Coast uh, College Football, if he wins, uh we, we don't, we're not going to give you a prize. You got to go through the king in order to win. So that's it. All right, Hippley. Um, Pac-12 South. They announced they announced the the schedule. Um, I guess we can go into that as we talk about these teams. So let's start with Colorado. And uh, before you get into to the breakdown of Colorado, and I get into the breakdown, I just want to highlight the stuff that you do um, on Addicted to Quack. Like, uh, and we'll link to these these uh, articles. Really good stuff. Full breakdowns that you did with Adam on the Quack 12 podcast. And you brought on um, guests. You mind just kind of talking a little bit about that so people can get a feel if they want you know, some sub- supplemental information or to re-listen to those podcasts. They're really good and they're great previews of each team. During the season, uh, I write two articles every week, one which is previewing Oregon's upcoming opponent and one which reviews the game that Oregon just played. Uh, as part of that preview process, I you know have to watch a bunch of film of Pac-12 teams you know, by the end of the season, I generally have game charts and film on, uh, uh, you know, about six games for each of the Pac-12 opponents. So what I do is turn those, you know, charts and, and what I know about how the team finished up and, and you know, turn that into an article uh, that's pre, you know, plus what departures and new arrivals are coming in uh, and turn that into a summer article in the Duck Dive series. Uh, we also do uh, borrowing uh, my editor, Adam Chimeo's, uh podcast platform, the the Quack 12 podcast. Uh, we do interviews with various publishers around the Pack 12. Um, some really great and smart and knowledgeable people about every team, um, plus you for Arizona. When we are about a week out uh, or or so from the season actually starting on November 7th, I will publish an update article uh, for each of those uh, pr- uh, previews, you know, because there's been a number of opt outs and transfers and sort of, you know, what I think is actually, you know, going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I tend to play a little game in which I predict the outcome of uh, every team the entire season long. I've been very accurate the last two years that I've done this and looking forward to continuing the crown. Cool. Well, let's get into Colorado here because it's an interesting team. 
And when I went on the Quack 12 podcast, I kind of was like playfully firing some shots at Colorado um, because I thought Arizona was going to be a stronger team. And then like everybody left the program. We'll get to that <laughs> at the third team. So, but Colorado still remains and really a program that really didn't lose a ton of people. The, um, the, the one Alabama transfer that they had uh, was suspended from the program, uncertain if yeah. he's going to return. But for the most part, this team is exactly the same team that we had going into the pre-COVID uh, portion of the year so I think it all starts with the quarterback and obviously it, it's gonna be it could be a problem maybe not I don't right. know well the quarterback is the exception to what you just said I mean they they I mean set aside the the COVID opt-outs and transfers of which as far as I'm aware Colorado has had none they even from the 2019 team just in terms of graduations NFL departures etc like Colorado didn't lose a whole lot the exception being the quarterback and it's really just you know, the big thing that will probably keep Colorado down because they kind of have every other position figured out. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, well, let's go back to the quarterback at the end. Let's go through the things that we definitely know are there. Uh, the first, we should start with the running backs. Um, yeah, great running backs. I, I really like Fontenot and Mangum uh, a lot. I, they're hard running backs. Um, the uh, I, I was really impressed with them. I, I'm sort of surprised they played for Colorado, <laughs> to be to be honest. I don't know why they where those they find those guys and younger guys too. I mean, Fontenot, uh, four point seven yards per carry, had almost eight hundred, almost nine hundred yards on the year. Uh, Magnum had almost five hundred yards, four yards a carry. But uh, I, I also, I mean, I was watching them run, and they just they're just good. They're, they run hard. They, their offensive line had some some issues, but they were strong. They actually were a lot stronger than I had anticipated them coming into the year. And I think they really came into their own. Now, certainly there have been injuries all over the team, and we'll talk about those too. Um, but the fact that you have two solid backs that are going to be able to try to make up yardage if you know if the offensive line slips up a little bit, um, it's just nice to have some really talented guys behind there. Um, but really, let's talk about the line because – and you watch a ton of films, so you're going to know better than I do how this uh, Colorado line <laughs> happens. But I, I, we do have a lot of Colorado fans, and at the beginning of the year, I was kind of like needling a little bit the line because there were some slip. Um, but then but a lot of people pushed back and said, hey, stick with this team, stick with this team. We really actually like the, the line development and like what we have here. And I think they were right. I, I was really impressed, uh, given the talent, right? Everything's relative. But for Colorado mm-hmm. to have that line uh, really kind of come together and become a unit uh, that really wasn't a, a liability for the team, I thought was really impressive. Okay, so Colorado had their best season under Mike McIntyre in 2016. Um Immediately afterwards, from 2017 through maybe halfway through 2019, those two and a half years, just the offensive line was the clear and obvious problem with the offense. Like, um, you know, they they had a massive rotation, partially due to injuries, partially because they just couldn't figure out what players were good. Um, And, you know, it was causing Steven Montez, the longtime quarterback there at Colorado, just like every play he's running for his life. Um, And I think it's sort of like Scarden and like affected his development, frankly, um, because he's like leaving the pocket way too early, even on the rare play in which the offensive line protected him. And the thing that I was really impressed by was that by the end of the 2019 season, um, they had figured it out. You're right that it's not a particularly talented group and it probably won't be a particularly talented group on paper anyway uh, in in 2020. However, like they've got it figured out like they, these guys have ne- are now veterans. Uh, you know, they've got it slimmed down to like a probably a seven man rotation. Um, you know, they know who their five starters are. They're not going to be experimenting. They're going to put the, you know, those five guards uh, out there uh, and knock on wood. They'll play every snap. Um, and it's stable. 
capitalized. I guess I, I, I would put it that way. Um, I don't think, like you said, it will be the liability uh, of the team. Um, and 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 to go back to the running backs real quick, you know, I think it will probably liberate uh, the you know who are already good running backs to you know now they won't be getting contacted you know th- three yards you know downfield now they're probably more like six yards downfield before they get contacted, which you know I really think could be. I really think that could be the way that Colorado's offense changes, given that they're replacing the quarterback and given that they're replacing the head coach and they'll have a different uh, offensive play caller. That's really the other big question mark is what the offense is going to look like. I think the smartest one would be a ground and pound type of offense behind, you know, a, a stable offensive line and a couple of good tight end recruits that they've got coming in. Yeah, so one of the things is they do lose their left tackle, uh, Arlington Hambright. They lose mm-hmm. uh, Tim Linett, and I apologize if I'm going to butcher a few of these names. We're still getting back into the groove, but those guys were really solid contributors to that line. And, you know, on paper you go, oh, no, you know, they lose their two biggest guys, but they do have some some pieces to fill in for that. They might not be as solid, but um, like Frank Phillip, who is going to fill in likely at left tackle, um, redshirted last year and actually played the previous year, and the staff right. really likes him to fill in that left tackle position. Do you want to kind of go through a couple of the other pieces that they have there that that you think are going to be solid? And I know there might be an NFL player on the line, which is which is great. That'd be like you know a, a pretty solid pickup, uh, you know, in terms of development for a Colorado program. Yeah, uh, William Sherman, who's been the right tackle for the last couple of years, I, I think he will uh, wind up in the NFL. Um, and, and then just you know the other positions all throughout the line all of them are guys who played before uh cooch and uh purcell is probably going to be the center uh erotic um and uh, even some of the backups like canyon ray is a transfer from ucla who came in um uh lytle uh played a little bit in 2018 like all of these guys have experience I, and and on top of that they know that who their starters and who their backups are going to be um which is huge like you look around the rest of the pac-12 first of all not a lot of great offensive lines in the Pac-12. And second of all, at a lot of the schools, it's question marks, you know, and with limited spring and fall practices, which is what's going to happen in the Pac-12, like, you know, knowing who your starters are and not having to have open auditions during week one of the season, that's an asset. So I I think their offensive line will be stable. I'm not saying that I think that they're going to be phenomenal or anything, but it it will no longer be the thing, I believe, that's holding Colorado back the way, you know, if, if, what your judgment of Colorado is, is based on the last three years. I'm telling you, you're basing that on a bad offensive line. It's not going to be a bad offensive line anymore. And so therefore it's time to reset your expectations of Colorado's offense. And if you're a program like Colorado or Arizona or Oregon state or Washington state, sometimes just having some solid cohesion with a good coach, um, can really make the difference between your team sucking <laughs> and your team yeah. being able to at least be competitive in some of these games. I, the one question I had for you on the line was, d- did they retain their uh, offensive line coach? I know you talked about this with, with your guests, but I forget what the, I f- actually forget what no, you said. It's an interesting situation. They, the offensive line coach, who I think did a pretty good job under Mel Tucker in 2019, went with uh, Mel Tucker to East Lansing when when like half of that staff left. That's actually the other weird thing about Colorado replacing their coaching staff is that like half of their staff remained uh, in Boulder, um, which is interesting. Um, 
And it turns out Jack Barsh, uh, who writes for Ralphie Report, our sister site on SB Nation for Colorado, um, was our guest. And he pointed out that um, Mitch Rodriguez uh, is the guy who's taking over at an offensive line coach. And he and the previous offensive line coach, like the, he was his mentor, you know, and so he's like, ah, he's taking over. You know, it's like uh, Obi-Wan taking over <laughs> uh, uh, for Darth Vader, who, who abandoned them and went to the dark side <laughs> in the Big Ten. Um, so yeah, there's a reason to expect that like that uh, offensive line improvement, you know, that's been going on over the last year and change, you know, should continue or at least, you know, it's probably going to be similar techniques, uh, similar language and, and nomenclature. So, you know, I, I have every reason to believe that the offensive line um, will be at least solid performers and they can build off of that. I think that's fair. Um, and, and then we go to the air attack here. We're going to talk about, the, the obviously, the wide receivers. They lose LaVisca Chenault. They lose Tony Brown. And those guys were really good. And yes. But LaVisca Chenault wasn't on the field all the time. He had a lot of injuries last year. And they were still right. able to be pretty competitive and able to move that ball. You had, we'll get into the quarterback as Montez was a, was a headache and, uh, and sure. bliss all at the same time, depending on what game he was. Um, but they still bring back some some interesting pieces here, Hithliday. Do you want to kind of go through that wide receiving core and, and what you like about him? Uh, sure. They, I mean, they bring back, uh, much of their production from last year, uh, Nixon and Arius and Stanley, um, who, who all played last year and were very productive, uh, on a per play basis anyway. I mean, a couple of those guys were backups, but I mean, they were getting like 20 yards a catch when they were getting thrown to, uh, they bring back, uh, uh, LaVisca Chenault's little brother, uh, Levante Chenault, um, who, you know, he was a near four star. Uh, they bring back. Uh, Wait, let me let me just let's just talk because some interesting offers for him. Um, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia. And this was, I think, West Virginia. It might have been before uh, their coach went to Houston, but some programs yeah, but that really like big to gun 12 the ball. teams who are utterly dependent <laughs> yeah. on, you know, big passing attacks. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just want to highlight that because I, I always like seeing the offers because I think it's an indicator of oftentimes of like, you know, what other people are seeing in, in these recruits. Plus, speaking of bloodlines, uh, Brendan Rice, who's Jerry Rice's kid, um, uh, signed with the team. He was a, he was a four star. Um, so was J.D. Nixon. So, uh, you know, I think they got some talent there. I, I it's it's obviously the most um, it, it's the unit that has the most talent on it for Colorado. Um, so, you know, I don't really worry about their their wide receiver core. Uh, and then um, the other group that catches the ball is interesting. They're bringing back a guy that Jack Barsh and I both really like just because he's kind of a charismatic guy is uh, Brady Russell, um, the tight end. He's, he's got, you know, big red hair coming out the back of his helmet. It's, it's interesting to watch that guy. Um, uh, but then they're also bringing in a couple of, uh, you know, they'll be freshmen. So we'll have to see. But a, a couple of pretty highly rated um, tight ends. Uh, and it's possible that they, you know, that, that they switch up their offense to use tight ends a lot more than they were. Um, now how that actually translates to what their offense is going to be, that is anybody's guess, you know, that that's the, in between not having a clue who their quarterback is going to be and not having a clue how Carl Durrell, the new head coach and, um, and Darren Chavarini, who, has an interesting history with, you know, Colorado, uh, what kind of offense they're going to put on the field. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I really going to have to wait and find out. I think there's a right answer and a wrong answer 
to that question. But I don't know if they're going to which one they're going to pick. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot that they're going to do a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to line up with some tight ends. They're going to try to do that like kind of West Coasty feel where, where the two tight end sets and all that stuff, which is interesting. And they certainly have some pieces there. In addition to the tight ends that you mentioned, they also bring in some transfers. So they have Jake Peters from Arizona, Matt Lynch from UCLA. Uh, they also have a blue shirt and Luke Stillwell. So some some players, they have bodies there. It'll just be interesting yeah. to see if those bodies can be productive. One of the things that makes me want to tear my hair out sometimes is when like teams have a good tight end, or I think they do in my mind, right? And like mm. they don't use them in the offense. Oftentimes there's reasons for that. They either can't block or maybe they're not as dependable catching the ball. But if you can find a couple bodies that can fit into that system, it can be a really interesting uh, way of moving the ball. And if, if and I think what you were getting at is if they stick more to the ground and pound um, using the tight ends and having a couple big play guys on the wall, like you don't need four wide. Yeah, hit them with play action passes, yeah. you know, like, yeah, numb the, you know, put put the defense to sleep and then pop it over the top with some of these really talented wide receivers. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that could be a very good. Now, the question is going to be, well, two questions. Number one, do they have a quarterback who can execute that? Uh, we don't know. You know, the quarterback options to finally get back to this uh, come down to two different guys. One of them was on the team last year. His name's Lewis and – or excuse me, Lytle. Um, the other Lytle, I think his brother is also on the team as an offensive lineman, weirdly enough. Um where based on, yes, it was the previous staff, but based on how the previous staff put him or rather reluctantly did not put him in during backup time, I infer that they did not have a whole lot of confidence in that guy. Um, the other guy is a true freshman, Brendan Lewis, who's a near four star in the 2020 class. Um, and we've never seen him take a snap in college. Um, I think that probably the correct answer is to take the true freshman and then just bet on him and give him an offense that, you know, like a ground and pound offense where all he's doing is handing the ball off like 70% of the time, but then bam, it's a play action pass, you know, over the top. I think that's probably how you minimize the true freshman uh, factor of it all. And the other thing is, hey, don't say, you know, true freshman three star, uh, you know, can't be productive in the Pac-12. Like, 90% of Pac-12 quarterbacks are true freshmen, right? Like Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniels, Grant Cannell, Justin Herbert, and Jacob Eason played as true freshmen back when they were kids. Like, I mean, it's it's the rule rather than the exception to turn out to have a decent true freshman quarterback that nobody sees coming in the Pac-12. So why not at Colorado? Yeah, I, and I, I think it's going to be Brendan Lewis. Uh, he was the number 16 dual threat quarterback uh, as a freshman, uh, as a true freshman now, like you mentioned. He had some pretty solid offers. Nebraska, Washington State offered him. Uh, the Texas Techs of the world that Texas Tech offered him. The staff likes him. And if I'm putting myself in Carl Durrell's shoes, look, this is a limited season. And I, I probably don't like what I have or I'm not confident what I have in Tyler Lytle. And it, it would make sense, at least for me, if, if you threw him into the fire in a year that's kind of a throwaway season anyway. Um, so I, I would if I put money uh, on this, I would put money on uh, the true freshman Lewis starting. But really, this all comes down to like we've been talking a lot about the positives and, and certainly the, the quarterback is a question mark. But one of the things that we just hammered over and over and over again um, was when you had uh, Darren Chiverini calling plays. Uh, and that was a problem. The last time, which was, it's a weird history because he was there as the wide receivers coach. And then he became the offensive coordinator and he was calling plays. And then that didn't go well. So they demoted him back to wide receivers coach. And then when Mel Tucker went to uh, East Lansing, he did not take Darren Chavarini with him. Hmm. Mm. Uh, he got appointed as the interim coach, then kind of, 
gotten a snit when he was not appointed the head coach. Did not show up uh, to work the first day. That, that at least that was kind of what I read. Or may, maybe not. Maybe there's some grumblings about that. Yeah, but I don't. Didn't, it beats me. Didn't uh, take a per- he took it personally. I'd put it that way. I mean, you, you got to have an ego to play and coach football. So I, I don't necessarily. And give, that guy like bleeds black and gold too. You know, like I I could sort of understand that anyway. So the, did John Embry though. I mean, like you know, to be fair. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, that does not necessarily make a, a great coach. You were correct about that. Um, uh, you know, the question is, you're right. He sort of ran a Texas tech style air raid, you know, offense when he was calling plays, it didn't work out great. You know, the question is, you know, maybe that could work out given that I think they have decent wide receivers now. Um, or maybe, you know, the super arch conservative head coach, Carl Durrell, uh, you know, takes that decision away from him and says, no, we're running a ground and pound offense. I don't know. I don't know how the politics of that institution work. Um, I don't think people who attend the University of Colorado have an idea of how the politics of that institution works. There's a lot of weird stuff uh, going on there. And and, uh, you know, any of the different uh, outcomes and permutations of outcomes here, none of them would surprise me. Um, and there are a bunch of wrong answers to this question, um, which is why I don't, uh, even though I think Colorado's offense has just about everything else figured out, I still don't think they're really going to have their breakthrough because of that uncertainty. Like they could pull that slot machine handle and come up three cherries, um, but, you know, don't bet on it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I I think that there's some infrastructure there, but two major, major question marks. And we'll figure out probably halfway through the season, hopefully, <laughs> whether or not those questions have been answered because it's we're going to have to figure out pretty quickly. Um, let's jump from the offense to the defense and almost a similar story in some areas here, in some aspects, particularly on the front seven. Uh, there's there's some some players here on, on the front seven. I guess let's start with the defensive line because I know you were really big on them and I can see that. Like, I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, the list here, although I am curious about the depth, but would you mind going through the defensive line and some of the things that really stood out for you in terms of some talent that are going to cause some problems uh, for some teams if Colorado stays healthy? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like this line. Um, in particular, uh, I like Mustafa Johnson. I think most people have heard of him. I, I think he's an NFL pick waiting to happen. Uh, I think Terrence Lang is potentially an NFL pick, too. Um, the other guy who's really interesting, he came in. Uh, uh, oh, let me stop you. Those are, those are the defensive ends. So they're on the ends, right? Uh, Lang's an end. Uh, Mustafa Johnson sort of moves around. I've seen him play, you know, inside the two. I've also seen him play outside the four. So I, you know, whatever the defensive structure calls for, um, which, uh, the defensive coordinator, there's another interesting retention. Ty Summers is the defensive coordinator. He got brought in by Mel Tucker. They both worked together at Georgia, um, previously. And at the time I was like, uh Oh, this is not a good hire, but uh, to be perfectly honest towards the second half of the season, uh, I really think that Colorado in 2019, I really think that, uh, Colorado's defense started to figure it out under Ty Summers. And I started to take back some of the nasty stuff I said about Ty Summers because he ran Georgia Southern into the ground. That was the last time that we saw him coaching. Um, and he took an analyst job at Georgia, you know, that the dreaded sec car washer job. Um, <laughs> And uh, but I actually think he he put together a pretty good defensive structure by the end of the year. I mean, they beat uh, Washington with it. I beat the snot out of Washington with it. Um, and the other thing was that the other thing we should say just globally about uh, Colorado's defense was that they were injured as hell in the middle of the season. In fact, right before they played uh, Oregon, in which they just got pantsed, um, was there like 
they just had nobody who was healthy for that game. And so anybody who's like, oh, this team is getting a million points put up by on it by a Marks Royal offense, you know, I sort of have to recalculate when they got their dudes back towards the second half of the season. And there was like maybe three teams in the Pac-12 that I would take their interior defensive line over Colorado. Like, I really think that core of dudes, uh, plus some other guys in the in the middle of Colorado's defense we'll talk about in a second at the other two levels. Um, I think that's a very solid, you know, core. Uh, to build around and there's some depth there too they brought in some other guys uh, Naeem Rodman Janaz Jordan Um, uh, Antonio Alfano is the guy that you mentioned earlier is like the five star will he won't he who at this point I think is probably a won't he but um, that was actually one of the things that I think Mel Tucker who in Colorado fans will probably be cursing his name but they ought to secretly be thankful is that when he showed up in Boulder uh, in 2018 he immediately identified the problem with this defense was had just had no beef on it and he immediately went to correcting that and he brought in a bunch of big bodies uh, like anybody who's north of 300 pounds uh, in the entire country have like an open invitation to come to Boulder and many of them weren't really ready to play uh, uh, in 2019 but I think they will be in 2020 so I, I think it'll actually be a pretty good pretty good group uh you know up front and you know they bring back their defensive coordinator it's going to be similar defensive structure they know what they're supposed to do i actually think it's pretty solid to start out with one of the things that i'm worried about is the depth i know you mentioned that they they did a full you know call for players that are large and and uh, as an alum of a program that did the same thing <laughs> in terms of <laughs> anybody that is large please come to our university um that doesn't necessarily mean that the talent's going to be solid. And I guess we won't really know until um, until we actually see the play on the field. I just kind of wanted to, to put a little flag there because I'm uncertain what's going to happen um, if somebody goes down. Because like you mentioned, this defense sucked when they were injured. And when you take a look at some of the points that they yeah. gave up, you know, they gave up 31 to Colorado State. They gave up 34 to Arizona State, 35 to Arizona. Um, you know, and, and I don't fault them for the 45 burger, the 40 burger um, that Oregon and Washington State, you know, that's going to happen. Um, but it, but but to your point, then they started shoring things up, right? They uh, were able to keep Stanford to 16 points. Now that Stanford offense wasn't everything. Mm. And Washington's offense could be uh, head-scratchingly awkward uh, last year. Uh, they held them to 13 points. Uh, and, and then they allowed 45 against Utah. So this is this is not necessarily – this was not the greatest defense last year. But there are pieces, and, there are, and when they were all together, I do think that was important. And I remember watching a couple of games when Johnson was out going like, oh, no, <laughs> like what's going to yeah. happen here? So I, anyway, I just kind of wanted to like temper some expectations a little bit because if there's an injury sure. or two, I think there could be some regression on that front seven. Well, we'll have to see, you know, because the those backups didn't, you know, we didn't see them a whole lot uh, last year. And they, you know, when we did see them, they were not particularly effective, you know, as you said, you know, a lot of injuries up front. Um, but, you know they're they're coming back you know they they had that battle test they had another year in a power five strength and conditioning program um you know you generally expect some improvement i i really like the defensive line coach chris wilson he was there at colorado for a long time and he also coached a super bowl winning team for a couple years ago so uh you know i i think that their depth will be okay at least for the sort of tier that colorado plays on um the the uh, the difficulty in a lot of games that I watched Colorado in where teams were 
beating them was not up the middle, um, at least not when their starters were playing. Where they were beating was around the edges um, because they had one pretty good outside linebacker slash safety, like a star safety role in Davion Taylor, who actually got drafted. Um, uh, uh, in like in the second league. round. It was, it was an yeah, early right. Draft. Yeah. It, not not a bad player, but they really didn't have anybody else. And when their cornerbacks, you know, and other outside secondary players were getting injured, um, they just couldn't contain, you know, the edge at all. That was their, you know, big problem. And you, you probably remember from the Arizona game, like that's how Khalil Tate and, you know, an otherwise kind of janky Arizona offense beat Colorado was they just could not defend the edge at all. Um and I think that that problem has probably not really been fixed. Um, in fact, it's probably gotten worse with, Tav- with Davion Taylor leaving. So I sort of suspect that as much as I like the interior of Colorado's defense, I think a lot of offenses will probably scout that out and just hit him on the edge. And it might be a long day for a lot of Colorado uh, teams. But for those who are stubborn enough to want to run up the middle all the damn time, uh, they might go slow going. And you know what crossover team Colorado drew? Is it Washington? Stanford. Oh, Stanford. No, Stanford. <laughs> the one team that might stubbornly just want to run the ball up the middle all the damn time. So watch out for that one. Nice. Well, and, and there are some players uh, behind the defensive line. So we have Nate Landman. He returns. He's bona fide. He's bona fide. He's a good star. Um, and then there's some other pieces here that could be interesting as linebackers. Although um, I'm, I'm just curious again to see what they have on the field. What did you think about the linebacking core as it returns uh, to Boulder this year? The inside linebackers I don't have any problem with. Landman I really like, um, and uh, and they had sort of a rotation, um, but they also return Akil Jones and a backup who wasn't a bad um, Van Deest. Uh, you know, I, I think they got players there, uh, and it's not really what I would worry about, or at least if I were an offensive coordinator facing Colorado's defense. Uh, that would not be where I would choose to attack. I would choose to attack the outside linebackers where – they kind of don't have anybody is the problem. Um, uh, the, um, the, the one guy that they returned who got a significant number of tackles last year was Carson Wells. I didn't really think much of Carson Wells. I sort of thought he was the weakest link of all the starters that they had. Um, and I, I think that that will continue to be a problem, uh, for them. As far as I can tell that, I mean, they took a Juco guy, Thomas, you know, my, maybe he gives them a shot of life. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, but that's where I would attack them. Um, and kind of render a lot of what we've talked about mood, unfortunately. So uh, I guess we can move into the secondary here. Uh, the one thing to mention, though, is the hybrid Mark Perry, who um, had a decent year. And you showed this in, in some of your film study where uh, they started to uh, really use him more in the offense as they switched over from I think they went from nickel to a dime, uh, which allowed him to kind of sleaze in and, and get a few sacks and, and re- make a little bit of noise. He returns. Um, it's going to be really hard <laughs> to fill Davian Taylor's shoes. That guy was so fast and so fun to watch um, now that he disappears. I mean, I do think it's a downgrade, but they do have a body there that it, that really had some promise not as promising as taylor but um at least there's somebody there i think that's going to fill in that space um that let- is an interesting question i, I haven't seen it uh, you were speculating that they will c- convert mark perry to be the star linebacker the way that uh um the way that davion taylor was i think so i mean that's kind of that that was my takeaway from actually some of the film that you had said so we'll we'll see they- I mean, that's not the position he was playing in 2019 when you're right in the second half of the season. They discovered him. He was a true freshman last year uh, and they discovered him in the second half of the season. And, you know, when they were blitzing at a dime packages and I mean, he just destroyed, I mean, absolutely destroyed Jacob Eason. Um, And 
that's an interesting supposition. I, I guess we'll have to keep our eye on that one. That might solve a lot of problems for him if they do that. The rest of the defensive backs, that was another position where they just were absolutely devastated. Their starters were absolutely devastated by injuries. Um, and, you know, this, and now all those starters are gone. Delrick Abrams and Mikhail Onu and uh, Maddox Cooper, a couple other guys. Uh, the, the silver lining to that cloud is their backups got a bunch of reps and all the backups are coming back. Uh, KG Trujillo, Mikai Blackman, Chris Miller. Um, they got a JC, Jalen Stryker, uh, Rakestraw, uh, Perry, who we mentioned, um, you know, all, all these guys are coming back. Uh, and they, you know, they got a bunch of experience and, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, I think, uh, you know, to whether or not they can really step up. Uh, Cause that's the other way that I would attack call Like I would, I would find out, you know, if I were if I were playing Colorado week one and I were the offensive coordinator who's opposing them, I forget who they play in week one. Um, I would that would be the first thing that I would test out is, hey, can you defend over the top? They're playing UCLA game one. OK, I have no idea what Chip Kelly's going to do week one. <laughs> that yeah, guy's we'll a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, beats me. Um, I mean, hell, if I were the offensive coordinator for UCLA, I would probably improve their performance, frankly. Uh, <laughs> and that's not commentary about me. Um, so, yeah, I, we're just going to have to wait and see about the defensive backs. It's a situation where potentially they it could really work out. It's a situation where potentially it could be trouble. Well, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I'm way more down, I think, on I think there's a, a bigger floor here than a ceiling. Uh, with them, mm. uh, we we made a decent amount of money betting against the secondary last year, and it was something that Max continuously yeah. hammered on. And Max um, isn't now Max is a numbers guy, but he's not like a, a baitering guy, but just knows the spots and like he just con consistently picked well <laughs> picking against Colorado, and it really highlighted the secondary. I think one of the things that's interesting here is that um, yes, a lot of people return from a a not great secondary, and there are a lot of question marks. Like KJ Trujillo will be a true sophomore. Um, he played fairly really well uh, to start as, as a corner. Um, but again, we don't really know what he's going to turn into. Um, Chris Miller was uh, likely their second corner. I have penciled in. He's had two injuries and uh, probably the yeah. best corner on the team, but he could go down again. You have a Miami transfer. You have a, a freshman, a, a top 25 corner four star kid and Christian Gonzalez that comes in at corner. But um, I, I think, most... I think he's going to win the starting job, frankly, which is, it, unless he's awesome, like think of all of the teams that you've watched where they have that five star player or four star player that has to play immediately. It's it, oftentimes those those corners uh, get yeah. burned <laughs> and, and they come yeah. into their own and they have great plays, but they also get torched sometimes. So, but hey, he's got Chip Kelly to to hone his edge on in the first game, so you know. Yeah, I mean, he'll probably like defend two passes and uh, God knows what's going to happen there. Uh, but I, I do think that the floor here on the secondary, if, if there's a, the two question marks for me, I guess, to sum up the entire Colorado team is can you can you play call? Um, is your quarterback good? And uh, can you throw on the secondary? Those And those are really, really big questions. And I think the secondary could be a, a ginormous liability for them. But there's another scenario where maybe Trujillo really comes into his own. And uh, maybe Chris Miller is is fine. And actually, they have some depth now when they have, like, the, the freshman can be, like, the third or fourth guy that they have on the field. And the, the safeties, I mean, we didn't even mention that they're, like, replacing the safety to <laughs> safeties also. Yeah, so, right. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, they, they lost, like, a, a, all their starters. But as you observed, you know, their starters weren't great and they got hurt all the time. So I don't know, man, I, you, you hate to say addition by subtraction. Um, it's usually not true and it's cliche even if it is. But like, I don't know, man, like entirely possible to hit in the reset button might be a good thing for this defensive back group. 
the other thing that I'll say about Colorado is just their overall general talent level. Like there's the the bottom seven teams in the let me back up a second. Two four seven finally came out with their team uh composite talent rankings, not their uh not what their recruiting class looks like, but they look at the entire roster who's left on the roster and they, you know, just add up, you know, their star levels. And uh there were a couple errors on it, so I confirmed it myself with my projected two deeps and came up with the exact same ranking numbers. And basically there's three t- tiers of talent in the Pac twelve. You know, the tier A where you've got a uh, you know, talents top to bottom. There's three teams in that USC, Oregon, Washington, no surprise there. Right. Uh, uh, tier B would be, you know, they've got some good frontline talent, but they've got holes in other places, sort of an incomplete team. There's two teams I put in that category. Uh, that's, uh, Stanford and Arizona state. Right. And then I'm telling you the, the entire remaining seven teams in the pac 12 of which Colorado is one, uh, are just as in undifferentiable mass of mostly mid to low three stars. Um, and really uh, of those seven teams, it's anybody's game, you know, like it's a really fluid situation that, like you said, is probably going to come down to solving coaching questions. Um, you know, who, who you believe in, which is why I'm a little higher on Oregon state than a lot of teams. Cause I really like that coaching staff, but I'll, I'll tell you, Colorado of those seven teams is the third most talented of them. And the two ahead of them are UCLA, which is going to get torpedoed by its terrible coaching situation and Utah, which has, you know, very good coaching staff, but they lost no players. Right. Exactly. So like I could sort of see, like, I'm not saying Colorado is my dark horse pick for the South, but of those seven, you know, tier C teams, I kind of think if Colorado can answer a couple of questions, you know, quarterback, some coaching stuff, the DBs, you know, don't turn out to be terrible. If everybody can stay healthy, uh, Colorado might be the best of those seven tier C teams. Like, I, I would not be shocked if that happened. Uh, I would put them uh, in. I would put the hopes at being competitive. Um, and, and we'll see. Like, right. This is the best thing about like college football is we'll see what happens. I just. I don't know. Like I, I really need to see a lot of that secondary. But there is a there is a scenario where this team gets together and is able to really push a lot of teams. I mean, take a look at their schedule here, and we we don't have to go through every game, but I just kind of want to highlight the six games that they have: UCLA at Stanford, Arizona State at USC, at Arizona and Utah. I mean, there there is a world where they go one and five. There is a world where maybe they go three and three ish. I mean, and and if if that happens, boy, man, I'd be so happy if I'm. <laughs> Colorado fan, I guess. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, like I said, I, they, they get UCLA at home. I like that one. Uh, they get Stanford, the one team that might run to the strength of their defense. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a big believer in Stanford. Um, they they get Arizona because they play in the South, which it's true that Arizona beat them last year. And hell, maybe they'll beat them again, you know, this year. But I, I don't, you know, we'll get to Arizona in a second. I'm not real wild about that team. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I, I sort of think they're that's three wins, uh, and then then they're sort of playing with house money, you know, going three and three with coaching turnover, uh, the only team with coaching turnover, and with nobody really expecting much out of Colorado. Like I, I'd say yeah, yeah, but uh, that would be an ex- an acceptable result on which you could build. Okay, well let's roll to UCLA and let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
All right, we're back. 12-pack radio. Let's get to UCLA here. Um, we're we're kind of going through the the teams that uh, need need some kids gloves here, I guess, as we're is easing them into the college football season in the year 2020. Um, and uh, the, I have so many questions. And uh, your show that you had at 12-pack radio with David Woods of uh, Podcast of Champions went through UCLA, and it was I I, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, I also like I can't think of one good thing that David Wood said about his team. <laughs> and, and I, yeah. I understand, but still it was it was a little bit Debbie Downer. Uh yeah. Uh which I mean, honestly, I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would be Debbie Downer if I were UCLA <laughs> uh alum. Uh although from what I understand of David Wood's history, that was a close run thing. Um I, I mean, I think he was probably a little harsh simply because, you know, twice scorned. Uh but mostly accurate. Like this is just, it's not a well-coached team. Um, and on top of that, you know, what you used to be able to say about UCLA was like, oh, but they have a bunch of talent. And so if they could just get it together in the coaching, like, you know, they could suddenly surprise people. They don't have any talent anymore. You know, Chip Kelly ran them all off. You know, this is a team whose, you know, actual current talent distribution is indistinguishable from, um, you know, the Cal's and Arizona's and Colorado's of the league. Like, uh, it's just, I mean, it's not good. And then on top of that, what players they do have, you know, this is something that, I, that David Woods pointed out in which I really agree with them is I, I don't think they're assessing their talent very well. You know, they're, they're playing walk-ons ahead of four stars at wide receiver, for example, like, what are you doing, Chip? Uh, so yeah, like, you know, that's the grain of salt that you have to take with all of this is, you know, any, you know, talent or anything good that they have going for them, you know, Chip Kelly and that moribund coaching staff is going to shoot it in the foot. Can you talk about the play calling here? Because I thought something was really fascinating. You mentioned on the 12 pack or the quack 12 podcast and also in your preview where just how confusing Chip Kelly's play calling is. And, and I would, I would actually probably use the word incoherent rather than confusing, but let's, uh, I guess both of those could be replaceable. Um, it just seems like he really isn't developing an identity. It seems like he's just kind of doing whatever he wants and, um, and, and not doing it well. Yeah. It's um, actually, I think his in-game play calling, like what, what he chooses to play on, or, you know, on second and six versus third and one or whatever is fine. I actually don't think he's lost his edge there. It's the playbook. It's that every game, I mean, I charted eight different games of the last two years for UCLA, which was a strange choice given that Oregon didn't play him in 2019. Uh, but I did anyway. Uh, and I'm not kidding. Every game, it was a different playbook. You know, the, the total amount of plays that UCLA or like unique plays that they ran is like two and a half times more than the typical Pac-12 team. They you know, and now none of it is particularly crazy. You know, it's all plays that I've seen before. Like, you know, it's not like they're running trick plays every time or they're reinventing college football. Uh, they're plays that everybody else runs. But most teams, you know, they pick a subset, you know, they, they run 25, 30, maybe 35 at the outset uh, outside uh you know plays chief Kelly's running like 70 plays you know like uh, it's and i don't really like any of those playbooks to be honest um but even if they uh, but but really the problem is they can't pick one they can't develop an offensive identity now that's the term is very overused in college football but you have to remember these are college kids you know these are not geniuses these are not professionals where they can devote 80 hours a week to their profession like there's only so much you can ask them to do. And I thought it was fairly clear. And, you know, David agreed with me that like that, that 
simply having a totally incoherent offense where they're doing something new every week and they got to install a new playbook every week is definitely limiting the offense. So even if you, you know, watch some highlight real clips of UCLA putting together some great stuff and you're like, Oh damn, that, that was cool. Like I agree with you. They, they put some interesting schematic stuff on film, but like, but then it'll be gone next week. Cause why not? <laughs> it appears to be the attitude. <laughs> well, it all starts with their quarterback, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. And I, like you assumed that maybe the injection of Colson Yankoff, um, Parker McCory, a four-star, uh, the number nine pro-style quarterback in the 2020. It offers from Michigan, Wisconsin, Miami, a bunch of other programs, too. I thought the injection of that talent would challenge Dorian Thompson Roberts, uh, Robinson. There'd actually be some sort of fight for who actually the quarterback is going to be. And it seems like that's actually not going to be the case. It sounds like Dorian Thompson Robinson is the guy. And when you look at his numbers on paper, they don't look terrible, right? So uh, 2,700 yards, 60% completion rate, 21 touchdowns 12 interceptions it's the fumbles and the boneheaded decisions and um uh, and the fumbles again and then once more the fumble i mean like it, it's just he has made it's so crazy many- like the ball just like he he sticks his hand in vaseline before he goes out and plays like it's crazy how many times the ball just pops out of his hand i suppose there's a world where that doesn't happen as much next year where, you know, he cuts back on like, I think he was one of the most fumble prone quarterbacks in the in the country. I have to go back and look at that. But like, I do know that that was I saw the stat and I said, oh, that makes sense. But I have to go back and actually look at what the stat is. But the point being, if you can cut back on just some really inexplicable fumbles, not your hit from the side when you're not looking more, just dropping the ball when you step back to pass it, um, I, you know, th- this could be a more efficient offense, I guess. But um, I just I'm 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 over the, the DTR era at UCLA. It just it just hasn't worked. It doesn't I don't think it's going to work again. I'm just curious what you think about him and, and maybe if he's able to uh, cut out some of the boneheaded turnovers. Is that enough for you to be confident in him leading this team? No, I, I mean, I, I think that Vernick's in, you know, I, I just don't think he's, a, you know, good quarterback. And I mean, it's not a huge, I mean, he was a four star, but I mean, like a third of all four stars bust, you know, it, it happens. Um, I think if Chip Kelly, you know, would realistically assess that and say, I've got a couple of other dudes, you know, let's push them, uh, you know, it, and hell, this all could be disinformation. For all I know, Parker McCory is going to trot out against Colorado in week one. He'll have fooled us all. Um, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that Chip fooled us all, uh, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm not wild about Thompson Robinson. He makes a lot of mistakes. Like it, the other thing is that his fumbling problem really comes when he's scrambling. And as we're going to talk about with a bunch of different teams over the course of this, like, the problem is he's scrambling way too much, which is partially on him and partially on having a lousy offensive line and partially because, you know, how could he remember the million different plays that Chip Kelly wants him to run over the course of a season? And I don't think any of those problems are going to get fixed. So I don't think the fumbling problem is going to get fixed. I mean, he's certainly not going to grow bigger hands. <laughs> well, let's get into the offensive line that's protecting him. And that starts with likely Sean Ryan at left tackle, uh, top 14 tackle of 2019, uh, young guy. Um, he comes in, but they lose Boss Tagaloa. They lose, uh, lose Chris Murray. They move, lose Michael uh, Alvis. And uh, and they do return some people. Duke Clements comes back. Jake Burton comes back, I believe. No, Jake Burton opted out. Oh, that's right. So uh, they return two guys on a bad offensive line. Uh, <laughs> good times. Uh, Hithliday, do but, you see any, uh, any promising players here? Because one of the things I saw was they were thinking about taking a 350-pound defensive line and putting him on the offensive line. And, and it just seems like this is going to be a mishmash of – um, of interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be a disaster. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, I, they were talking about moving Alec Anderson, who was a rotational tackle to guard. Um, but now that Jake Burton has departed, I, I think he probably locks up the other tackle spot and they just start filling in guards. Um, but you know, like one of them is a walk, a couple of them are walk-ons, um, you know, and, and not a lot of experience, not a lot of, you know, depth, not a lot of talent. Uh, you know, it's just, it's astonishing for a, a team of UCLA's caliber and, and, you know, the historical, uh, accomplishments to have recruited this poorly at a totally essential unit. Um, yeah, I, I, it was bad last year. I think it'll be worse next year. I was looking at their recruiting rankings, uh, for the offensive linemen looking back and it looks like uh, Ryan is the only blue chip player on this entire, the entire uh, roster, roster of like 17 offensive linemen. Yeah. It's crazy. And you go, you're in UCLA, you are in like a hotbed of football talent and just the inability to bring those players on. Now there could be a world where this offensive line, uh, they make lemonade out of lemonade and they play like, you know, an Oregon state or a Colorado in terms of getting the whole unit whipped up. But, uh, but I don't think that's this year. I don't think the talent is there this year. And the fact that we're on a shortened period anyway um, just makes me really, really down on whether or not they're going to be able to protect the quarterback and, frankly, uh, <laughs> push on, on the run front because they lose Josh Kelly, who was really solid. Uh, obviously, he's yeah. playing for the Chargers now, able to uh, see the field immediately as an NFL player. He was a walk-on, uh, so which is super, super bizarre. I mean, well, the sort of. He was a he was a well-recruited player, but then UCLA didn't have scholarship space for him. Him, but then they gave him a scholarship. It's it's not quite fair to call him a walk on. Um, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's crazy how many dudes up and down the roster that they wind up playing who are, who who they didn't have a scholarship for. Now I have, and this is UCLA, you know, a team that's recruiting up there, you know, of historical powers. Yeah, and I have Britton Brown, the Duke transfer, uh, who has had multiple multiple shoulder injuries, um, had been kept out a couple of years here. But I do have him as the starting running back, and then behind that, I mean, we do have uh, we do have Felton, who is just kind of a funky gadget player and and can be used really well, but hasn't been used super efficiently. Like he's had some really explosive plays, and then he disappears from the field as they move him from wide receiver to running back and, and doing jet sweeps and all that stuff so I, I don't know what to think of him uh, outside of like I, I assumed he was going to be better this year after seeing a couple games and then he just kind of he just kind of faded into the mist sometimes uh, behind him Casimir Allen was somebody I was excited about but hasn't really come to fruition uh, Martel Irby I'm not super impressed with I, I look all these guys are better than I will ever be at running back ever ever <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want you know like and obviously we kind of we kind of threw some shade at, at DTR. Obviously, DTR is playing at a Division One school and all, et cetera, et cetera. But still, when you're comparing this team to other teams and the talent they have at running back, I don't see it there unless unless Brown really stays healthy the whole time, which which could be the case. But then he has the offensive line in front of him. I, what do you think about this running game? I I don't think they're going to accomplish much. Uh, you know, you're right. Felton is way too much of a gadget player, and while they have options. Uh, at running back, you know, all of them have an asterisk next to their name. They're either, you know, a he heavily injured transfer or they couldn't break into the rotation last year or they've just, you know, underperformed. Like you said, they, you know, the offensive line, I think is going to be a disaster area. They've got, you know, a crazy playbook uh, that, you know, I don't like. I, th I think all of those things are going to continue. I'm just not anticipating a whole lot out of this running game. Um, you know, like they're, the, the, like the total rushing performance that they put on the field, you know, on designed runs last year, you know, came out to like 2.8 yards per carry, uh, you know, on, 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 you know, running back designed runs. Like that's terrible. Uh, that I just, yeah, I, I'm not expecting a whole lot. 
I, guess- I think if they get I think if they get anything on offense, it'll be through the passing game. But then we're we're back to talking about Dorian Thompson-Robinson. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the one silver lining in this cloud would be Britton Brown when he was healthy at Duke, his best year. He had 700 yards, uh, 130 carries, seven touchdowns, averaged about five and a half yards per carry. So, you know, if he stays healthy, they do have he could be a talented back there. And we'll we'll just see. But again, like a lot of the building blocks for this offense just aren't there uh, to set up this team for success. So right, um, but 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 recall what you just said. They're taking a grad transfer from across the country to compete for, and we think we'll win against. I think seven or eight different scholarship running backs who are returning from last year's roster. Like yeah. that's what to think about that room. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Uh... I wasn't saying it was a good silver lining. <laughs> just think it, yeah. is, it is a lining nonetheless. No, I, I, I totally hear you. Uh, but the one thing that you did mention was um, it's possible that they could uh, see some talent here on the wide receiving court. And I agree with you. Kyle Phillips um, had a decent year, 60 receptions for about 700 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, you have Felton back there who, again, the gadget player. So not only was he uh, did he rack up about 300 yards on the ground, he had about 600 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Chase Coda was a highly regarded recruit, uh, averaged 14 yards per catch a big kind of tall guy 6'4 200 pounds uh, Jalen Irwin another player that had some pedigree coming into the program and then they actually bring in some interesting pieces so uh, uh, Charles Njoku who is a top 50 wide receiver in the 2019 class uh, Evidence Njoku who is his uh, I think it's his brother who was a three-star commit to Miami who transferred over uh, Michael uh, Izarike I think is how you pronounce his name uh, number 35 wide receiver in the in the country I mean so there's there is some pedigree here more so than almost anywhere else on this team. We'll get to the defense. There's, there's a few remaining players there that, that have some, uh, some high recruiting rankings, which could turn into something or, or not. Um, but again, like you mentioned, Hithliday, not the best, uh, not, not the best quarterback throwing to them. And if you've had a team that has a frustrating quarterback and good wide receivers, man, it could get really frustrating. And, uh, but again, like it's possible that DTR um, stops dropping the football <laughs> and um and still gets like a 61 percent completion rate and maybe the ucla can move the ball through the air a little bit um if he's not running for his life um well I, the, the thing that's interesting I'm about grasping here i don't know well it, you're not wrong i mean you're not wrong about kyle phillips you're not wrong about chase coda jalen Irwin. you're half right about because the, the first half of his 2019 season was really good and then the second half of his season he just completely disappears i don't know what to think about that the fourth guy that they were playing was a walk-on, Ethan Fernia, who actually I'm not sure yet. Well, he, he was applying for his sixth year, and we don't know the answer to that question yet. And the fact that they had him on the field in front of a bunch of four stars, right, uh, Charles Njoku and Izurike and uh, Diamond Lee, and uh, there's a fourth one that I'm forgetting. Like, they have four-star talent, much of which is returning, much, and they're getting, uh, you know, I think one or two new ones coming in. But over all of those guys, they were playing a walk-on and Irwin in the second half of the year who was underproducing like that either indicates that those four stars aren't really ready to play and the staff is correct about them or the staff is incorrect about them and you know no reason to believe they will stop being incorrect uh you know in their talent assessments um so you know like merely having those dudes on paper on the roster I don't think you know even if Dorian Thompson Robinson figures it out like there's still another barrier to to having good you know passing uh, production. So I, I think at this point, everybody probably understands why David Woods was so down on this team. There's just like, you've got to go through some weird conditionals to figure out like, well, there's a, I guess maybe they could not embarrass themselves. Uh, but you know, I doubt it. 
what so what would be on the offense what what like in the best case scenario for ucla um you know like paint a rosy picture for what they could be if everything goes right and they actually figure out what what to do like what, what would they need to actually get together in order to be competitive on the offensive front so I asked David uh, Woods the question whether or not has the last two years of Chip Kelly at UCLA been experimentation that he's just been, you know, OK, we're going to run 80 different plays because I'm going to figure out, you know, I'm going to take all that data and put it in the computer and come out with like, OK, this is the best 20 plays that we have. So that's what we're going to run. Uh, I think if he actually does that, David thinks, no, that's not going to that's not the case at all. But, you know, all right, Chip Kelly could surprise you. Right. Theme of the podcast. Uh if they pare the playbook down to what they're decent at, when they run the plays that they're good at, they're good at them. I don't know if it's a tautology, but it's true. Like you, you know, this team was not totally trash. When they were on, they were on. They moved the ball pretty well. They found some stuff that worked well for them. They were running a gap scheme offense uh, for a bit and during 2019 was actually, you know, ran the ball pretty effectively. Um, you know, they, they they had tight ends in 2019 that they don't have in 2020 it remains to be seen what they're going to do about that uh like i really think the tight end gets a downgrade there in terms yeah. of their pass catching ability but you know it it, it, it it if they suddenly get good at self-assessment you're right that there's talent and there's certainly a lot of data uh they're returning uh, you know a decent amount of production they're returning their quarterback there's obviously stability in the staff i think there shouldn't be but there is uh you know, look, man, like I said about Colorado, if they pull the, the the slot machine lever and they come up with all cherries, like, yeah, actually, this could be a pretty good offense. I just really, really doubt that's ever going to happen. I mean, nothing that Chip Kelly has done since he arrived in Los Angeles has made me think that any of those things are going to occur. Yeah, it's just super bizarre because, like, I try not to get so down on a team um, where the coaching staff has been there for a while. Because, uh, I mean, these these people do look at what happened in the past seasons. Uh, maybe Chip Kelly doesn't. But, like, you know, in theory, they do look back and say, OK, that didn't work. Now what do we do to fix that? And maybe, like you mentioned, maybe they do actually do that. But for the in the meantime, I have them as one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. And they're really going to have to prove uh, if, if they, they want to um, improve on that front. And we haven't talked about the defense. Let's get there here. We have uh, a defensive line that I, one of the bright spots that we had on here is their their run defense up the middle was actually pretty good. And that was one of the things that we really liked um, about UCLA. And there was a couple times where we were gambling against teams that were more stubborn um, in terms of running the football against UCLA. And UCLA usually covered because they were able to do that. It was the secondary and a lot of other problems, too, that, that mm. ended up being an issue. But I'm, I'm curious what you think about this uh, defensive line that comes back. They lose some pieces. I know Bo Calvert comes back um, and somebody that was uh, was pretty highly regarded as a uh, as a player there for um, UCLA, but uh, they, they do actually return some interesting pieces here. Uh, yeah, I, the, I would probably say their defensive lines the strength of the, the defense. They return, uh, Oza Digizua, uh, who's, you know, not, not bad. He was a mid three star, but he certainly, I, I think played better than that. Uh, and you know, pretty much the rest of their defensive line, uh, you know, Manoa and Obonia and Isidore, um, uh, you know, they, they've got some second line talent uh, as well. I mean, that was sort of the bizarre thing is that, they, you know, a lot of their guys, they had to play a ton of freshmen uh, in in 2018, like in their in their front seven it was like seven different freshmen that they were playing in their in their front seven rotation. Um, and, you know, and then they became sophomores in 2019 and now they will be juniors in 2020. So, like, yeah, it, it might not be half bad. Um the the really interesting thing to me is the defensive structure because 
they uh, they lost uh, Paul Rhodes, the defensive backs coach, who I don't think that he coached the defensive backs particularly well. That was like an astonishing fall off. But we'll get to the defensive backs in a second. Yeah. They they replaced Paul Rhodes with Brian Norwood, the, who was the co-DC at Navy. And there's an interesting conspiracy theory because briefly when he was uh, hired at, at UCLA, he changed his Twitter profile to read co-defensive coordinator uh, at UCLA. Uh, and then like, the, you know, that was taken down and now he's the passing game coordinator or something like that. The conspiracy theory goes like this, uh, that – uh, Norwood is actually the real defensive coordinator now and that, uh, and that uh, Jerry Azanaro, the longtime Chip Kelly assistant, is being demoted to actually be the defensive line coach, which would probably be good for him because I can tell you as an Oregon fan, when he was coaching the defensive line at Oregon, he was – Oregon had some good defensive lines. He's, I think, a pretty good defensive line coach. The guy that they brought in to titularly be the defensive line coach is Johnny Nansen, which is bizarre because he's always – coached on the offensive side of the ball i i don't really think he's a good offensive line coach but whatever it's super bizarre for him to be a defensive line coach i the the, the way that this theory goes is that nansen is not really going to be the defensive line coach he's going to be the recruiter he's going to be like the head of the recruiting and he's not even going to show up at games he's just going to be making phone calls for recruits uh and it, that's a very interesting theory it might even be true. It makes almost too much sense for Chip Kelly to actually do, but as I've said a couple times now, Chip Kelly can always surprise you. Um, if that happens, and if what happened in the spring, they got a couple of spring practices in, and it appeared to the people who went to practices that they were switching from uh, Azanaro's 335 defense to a 425 that Norwood was running uh, at Navy. Um, and that's where I think. It, that could be playing into the strength of the defense if they do, in fact, have defensive linemen who are, you know, the strength of the team. On the other hand, what's required out of a four down lineman front is somewhat different than the talent that is required for a three down lineman front. So there may be some growing pains there. Uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see on that one. Um uh, it will be interesting to the extent that anybody cares about UCLA to find out what exactly is going on there. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and what you mentioned makes sense, uh, particularly with Azanaro, because one of the things that uh, we liked was the defensive line. And um, and one thing I should mention, though, they were really good at stopping the run. They were not particularly good at getting in the backfield. In fact, they're they're actually pretty bad at it, and it made them change their scheme uh, to try to put some pressure on the quarterback, because the quarterback had a ton of time, was throwing around, and that put pressure on the secondary. So, like, they could stop the de the defense uh, on the uh, they could really stop the run, but um, having Azanaro focus more on that and, and something that that he's doing well opens up the uh, just a f some more possibilities. The one thing that I'll mention to you, Hithleday, is like, and it's something that Rob, I'm sure, would mention if he was on this show. Um, he actually, at least the beta rank showed that Navy's secondary kind of sucked. Like their defense was good, but the secondary was like that has has historically been the weaker part of that defense in the last couple of years. So I don't know if you've really paid a lot of attention to Navy's defense or anything, but that was like he just he not really. But it wouldn't surprise me at a service academy. They have a hard time recruiting the real speed that you needed defensive backs and that wasn't the problem at ucla that they, they had and continue to have at least on paper raw talent at, at defensive back you know the problem is boy i just think they were really poorly coached last year uh, it's hard not to put that at the feet of paul Rhodes. paul Rhodes is gone so i don't know yeah and like moving to the linebacking core here um they're also losing some pieces and this is where i get more nervous uh and i, and I actually think that there's some pieces on the d the defensive line but the people that are backing them up uh I, like i know they've recruited yeah. a ton of linebackers <laughs> yeah line, ridiculous but... 
number of linebackers, way more, li- way more linebackers that they could use, even if they were in a system that used more linebackers. And now, apparently, they are switching to a 425, which uses way fewer linebackers. I mean, they're going to have like 20 dudes who they can't use sitting on the bench. Uh, like, it's, you know, totally crazy. And you're right about disruption. Most of the their disruptive plays or tackles for loss and sacks were coming from the linebacker core, and most of that is gone. Chris Barnes uh, was their tackle for loss uh, leader. He's gone. Uh, Lokeni Toyaloa uh, is gone. His brother, Lenny, returns, uh, although I think Lokeni was better. Josh Woods, Jason Harris, Keyson Lucier South. Like These guys were the disruptive uh, uh, players in the linebacker core. All these dudes are gone, um, and what they return are guys. You know, uh, you know, we're not talking about four star here. Uh, uh, you know, we're talking about low to mid three stars because that's what, you know, Chip Kelly has turned this team into, uh, you know, over recruited the position. And here's the other thing about four two five. Any Utah fan can tell you this uh, is that when you go down to only two linebackers uh, in your defensive front, those two better be damn good because they are, you know, they got to play 50 percent better than the linebackers in a four three. Right. Um you know, they become the fulcrum of your defense. And like, I am not seeing guys on UCLA's linebacker roster that make me say fulcrum of the defense. A couple of players to look out for that, that to your point have not been proven, but do come in with some interest here. Um, Caleb Johnson was the number three Juco outside linebacker of 2020. Uh, Damian Sellers was a top 25 linebacker in the 2020 class. So a young kid, but does come in like that. I think that was one area, like you mentioned, they recruited like a gazillion linebackers. Some of them came in with some four star uh, you know, ratings. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can really come up to speed quickly. But like you mentioned, and I like this with your film breakdown with Utah, where you're showing like if those linebackers hit the wrong gap, it's like a 10 to 15 yard gain and it's up to yeah, the, the second. Cause there's nobody left at the second level. Of the yeah. defense. And guess what? UCLA doesn't have Utah secondary <laughs> that they had last year. So that becomes even more of a problem with those safeties and stuff. But um, an, an interesting thing to, to keep a lookout for is there, is there any promise that you see in the linebacking core? Like I know you mentioned um, uh, Toiloa, I think is the, the, the brother uh, Lini who came back. Uh, Bo Calvert is somebody that might find himself in the linebacking core. He came in. Yeah. We didn't see star. Calvert much cause he was, uh, he was injured for most of the year in 2019 he, he might be uh you're right um although you know a guy who misses most of the year with injury you know you you have to worry about development and the guy who would be developing is their linebackers coach which if any Oregon fans are listening plug your ears was Don Pelham uh so I you know I kind of have my doubts that, that that's going to happen. The other problem is you're right. They brought in a couple of guys who are widely recruited like Sellers and Vons uh, and, and uh, Johnson. But as far as I'm aware, all of those dudes are, uh, you know, they came out of high school playing outside primarily like, and as Cal can tell you, converting an outside linebacker to an inside linebacker is often fraught with peril. Um, especially if you don't have a, uh, uh, you know, spring and fall camp in order to really teach them the position. So I I would have to say I am not very uh, expectant that the linebacker core is going to work out for UCLA, and that could be a big problem. Okay. Well, let's move to the secondary here. Um, they lose Darnay Holmes. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and this secondary was bad last year. Uh, and Which is crazy because they <laughs> were not say. bad in 2018. I, like I had to watch them in 2018 because Oregon actually played them then. And I was like, huh, these defensive backs were pretty talented and they're pretty good. Uh, and then I watched their 2019 film and it was like, what happened? I, yeah, just baffling. It is super bizarre. Um, the one thing, though, they do return some players. So if there is going to be improvement in the secondary with the uh, the entrance of Navy secondary coach, um, 
it's possible that it happens here. Uh, Elijah Gates returns, who's a corner, Stephen Blaylock, Quentin Lake, uh, the safeties there. You watch more. Uh, they also bring in some interesting transfers here. Uh, Ebby Ebo from Stanford. Uh, uh, Not going to do it. There was a reason why he transferred out. Oh, wah, wah. <laughs> um, and, and a couple other guys, a kid out of Kent State. Um, they have a couple of freshmen and stuff. I, like, you watched that more. That guy's going to be a line. He's going to be a star you know, a, a hybrid linebacker, another linebacker they're not going to be able to use. Uh, it is super bizarre. Like, I, I don't know what I, Like, this about. is a terrible roster management. Just absolutely, like, you know, if you ever really got me talking about having, you know, done these deep dives into every one of the Pac-12 rosters uh, and, like, how they have played out over the years and who got backup time and and how the class structure was done, like, is not easy to pick up, uh, you know, unless you can put the entire heat map into your head and, 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 visualize all of it which i can barely do like it's limiting hitting the limits of the bandwidth in my brain but there are very few good roster managers in the pac-12 and i can tell you there's heated competition for the worst roster manager in the pac-12 but i gotta give the gold medal chip kelly like this has been so thoroughly mismanaged um that I, you know, I, I have to believe that you're right. They're bringing back, uh, you know, a bunch of their defensive backs in on paper. It's fairly talented, but I, like I said, for just about every other position, I just don't think they're getting better. Uh, I think it's a possibility they get worse. So what was the issue with them last year? And obviously the past, like, I don't know. Not a clue. I mean, I'm sorry. I wish I had a good, you know, clever sounding answer for you, but it's bizarre because it was the same guys. And I mean, Darnay Holmes, who you noted was the one loss, like he significantly regressed uh, from 2018 to 2019. Uh, uh, Gates uh, was a very good cover corner in 2018. Uh, We were talking to David Woods about this. He got pulled from the field halfway through the year because it's like he had no idea where he was on the field, like to the point where I, 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 was significantly worried about his mental health. Like he did not know where he was on the field. Um, like, I mean, it's crazy. Like alien brain beams is the best explanation I can come up with. Like you don't see talented, effective players becoming this ineffective one year later with, uh, you know, I've never seen it before. It's cr- like, crazy it's possible though like with a coaching change i mean we, we've talked about this when we sure. talked about arizona where it's like i mean you look at the arizona linebackers and it was a me- they didn't know where they were supposed to go they were out of position they were going the wrong gaps i mean it was just over and over and over and over. it was just a pro like that's coaching right like at some point it has to be somebody coming in and being like all right like this is how <laughs> this is this is how you move to the spot and sometimes it is the player but when you have players that actually we're pretty good one year and then regress. I mean, that, that has to be on the coaching staff. I mean, I can't, I can't see a scenario where this, this group of second is particularly everything's relative, right. And relative to all the other positions on this team um, in terms of expecting less, I wouldn't expect this, this unit to go down further. I would, I think that there's some upside here in the secondary and least being able to have a coherent famous last words, right? It can't get worse. Uh, Don Pelham. I I was an Oregon fan who watched uh, uh, Brady Hoke and Don Pelham. Like, you know, it can get worse, brother. It can always get worse. I don't know. Well, well, to anticipate your question, you know, like we were talking about with the offense. Yes, you're right. There is a scenario where these dudes figure it out that Norwood turns out to, to actually be in charge that the conspiracy theory where everybody gets realigned to what they're best at that, uh, you know, becomes true that they, the, the defensive backs snap out of the malaise uh, of last year that, you know, playing a consistent nickel um, and maximizing the effect of their defensive line who ain't bad, uh, you know, works out like you're right. 
just like with everything else with UCLA, a team that has some talent on it, but which is being horribly mismanaged. You're right. Horrible mismanagement is something that can clear up overnight. I mean, ask uh, Arizona State fans. That was, you know, last year uh, up until the week before they played Oregon. That was a very malfunctioning team because I didn't think either of their uh, coaching staffs on either side of the ball was very good. But you can correct coaching immediately. You can't correct talent. Right. You know, you're not going to get a sudden infusion of talent. Uh, so, you know, you are correct. There is a scenario in which UCLA corrects all this coaching mismanagement and, you know, puts real talent on the field with a coherent playbook and, and, and plays better than we have expected out of this coaching staff. But there's a reason why we have those expectations of this coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. The likelihood of them jumping up and biting people is significantly lower than them not doing that and, and just kind of crashing. And so we'll just have to see, you know, taking a look, they did beat Colorado, Arizona state and Stanford last year. <laughs> so I mean, like they're there and Washington state. I mean, that's, well, that was a stupid game. So I'm going to just erase that. From <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that was the set. That was the, the greatest game last year was, uh, was watching that just cause it was so bizarre. Um, but to be able to go in, like to, to knock off, uh, a ranked Arizona State team. I don't know. Like, I don't have. I don't have any I, expectations. Frankly, I think that reflected more on the incompleteness and poor coaching at Arizona State. I, we'll get to ASU when we get to ASU. I'm, I've been skeptical of Herm Edwards from the get go. I, I was one of the few people who did not get on the "this is a joke" hire train. Oh, right on, right on. Okay. Um, taking a look at their schedule here at Colorado, Utah um, at home, at Oregon, Arizona at home, at Arizona State. USC at home. Um, I mean, Arizona and Colorado are winnable. That's that's for certain. Uh, yes, that they're 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 a good version of the UCLA team, which is technically within their own possibility. Uh, I think those are winnable games. Um, I and you know Utah, you know, lost a lot. I you know always a possibility they're vulnerable. UCLA gets them in the Rose Bowl for whatever advantage that brings. Um, you know. I mean, frankly, they, except for Oregon and probably USC, you know, that they, I guess they could win four games on this, uh, on this schedule. I doubt it. I, I think it's more likely they go winless than they, they get four wins. Yeah. UCLA 2020 uh, coming at you. The, I, our apologies to the UCLA fans. I'm, I'm sure they're probably in the same headspace that we are on this team. I mean, it's just been such a disappointment uh, since Chip Kelly came back to Westwood and, or came to Westwood, uh, coming back to college football coaching and just, um, man, it's been really frustrating, particularly on on the recruiting front. I think the biggest problem, and, and they did do a little bit better this year recruiting that they have in the past, but again, they, like the roster management is, is the issue. They recruited like 17 linebackers and uh, I think he's dug himself into a hole now because of the lack of recruiting the last couple of years where even if they do really flip on the switch and kind of figure it out, it's going to be really hard to compete at any high level, uh, e- even in, at the mid level with like the ASUs and the Utahs of the world that just the talent isn't there. So, well, um, yeah, I, I don't even understand what what's the recruiting pitch that Chip Kelly presents like he can't sell, you know, Oregon because everybody's seen through that one. He drove half the team off of the team for reasons that, you know, he, he can't explain. He can't possibly look good to recruits. It's not an exciting you know, offense or, you know, or thrilling defense, you know, I I don't, you know, other than the fact that, you know, Hey, we are located in Los Angeles. It's right there in the name. Uh, I don't understand what UCLA's recruiting pitches. Like, I, I guess it's the NFL context for, you know, whatever, what, if that works right with people. And yeah. then, and you know, UCLA is one of the best public institutions in, in the world. Like UCLA is a very, very good school. 
That's all, all I the got. math majors are playing for the football team. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do you want to do that? Um, hey, let, let's stop here. Let's keep the conversation going in the next episode um, as we move forward. Uh, we'll do Arizona, um, Utah, and then we'll pick up an- another team here as Rob rejoins the podcast. Um, Hithliday, uh, any anything that you want to highlight that you're going to be you know releasing in the next couple days? Uh, well, I'm uh, pretty Oregon-centric for the next two weeks. Uh, I'm, I have been uh, writing a series of preview articles for Oregon's new uh, starting players, You know, folks who were backups in the past to, who will probably take new starting jobs, uh, uh, where, spoiler alert, I think that Oregon is going to fairly smoothly replace uh, the players that they've lost uh, the, um, to graduation, the NFL, and to opt-outs. Um uh, oh, but then, Penny Sewell, come on! Like it's going to be really hard to replace Penny Sewell. Uh, they, um, now, he's and what, what, you keep telling yourself that. Okay, okay. Keep telling yourself that. Well, one of the things that we were saying, like on the show, is that, uh, we'll get to Oregon later, but like the fact that Cristobal is recruiting and shifting over from a different type of offensive line system to uh, really what he likes to see. So he's getting he's getting really good players to come in, but man, like probably the best player in college football taken off that that is a bummer and i got i I really wanted to see this oregon team as it was play in 2020 because i don't think they were going to compete for the the national title but i do think that they were a team that was going to be able to show a lot of um, a lot more progress from even a really solid year where they won the rose bowl last year um maybe maybe they're they're still going to do that i'll leave that up to you hithliday you're the expert on that front but uh um Anyway, yeah, just, yeah. I, we'll we'll talk about Oregon when we talk about Oregon. But I I uh, I have not changed my thoughts about thinking that they're you know the odds-on favorite to win the league this year. Um, they definitely got a very favorable schedule um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, and and it will likely come down to to you know the Washington game at the end. We'll talk about Washington when we talk about Washington. Um, uh, and, and like I said, I will, uh, you know, when we get closer to starting games, I'm going to publish a big article, which goes through, you know, all the changes that happened since, uh, you know, the PAC 12s, you know, hokey pokey gotten out and then gotten back into playing college football, uh, and, you know, updating all these articles, which I think will be a very good primer for fans who want to take a look at what the PAC 12, uh, will be, um, and uh and so you know project every week that's that's my goal for the off season and then two week when the game uh games start getting played yeah very good stuff and we'll make sure to send out the two articles that actually there's like i think there's three because i don't think you have the film breakdown of ucla if i'm um from oh no i did oh well yes no i didn't do film of 2019 because oregon wasn't going to play them but uh yeah uh that film is is still very useful uh uh to study um the the in particular uh uh the the colorado one with uh featuring mark perry who's just destroying jacob Eason was just a, that was a delight to put together anybody who gets eyeballs on that film uh, i think uh, will enjoy it yeah some interesting stuff there and one of the cool things is you can play it at quarter speed half speed or like regular speed so you can kind of see the development of the play which i found very helpful particularly with utah when we, when we did our utah preview just because uh, of those two linebackers and just seeing where they were hitting the holes um but uh, we will leave the rest for next week and, and maybe actually, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep this train going, uh, previewing all the teams as we go into the season. Hithliday, thanks for coming on and we'll catch everybody next week. Take care.